Have you ever been frustrated with God? Um, I have. I've been frustrated with God. In fact, uh, on some level, in some way, I am currently frustrated with God. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about it. For a long time in my life as a Christian, I have wanted to be very serious in my devotion. Uh, And when I say serious, I don't mean necessarily very put together and strict about things, but that I would be able to connect with God in deep ways, that I would do what it takes to connect with God in deep ways, and that uh, we would be able to move uh, forward in our relationship together, and I would be able to draw closer and closer to him, and that I would be able to achieve some sort of significant spiritual enlightenment and and as well as experiencing that enlightenment experience what I understood to be the joys and and the rewards of that 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 closeness with God um, and uh, and I'm sure also along the way experienced some of the the difficulties of that because uh, we live in a world that does not entirely honor God and I live in a body that does not entirely honor God, so there's going to be some difficulty. But still, I found it and thought it to be a worthwhile pursuit to draw close to He, which He who is ultimate reality, and uh, and know Him better. And I felt myself coming along with that, uh, drawing closer to God, learning new things growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom, growing in the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, so on and so forth. I skipped the kindness one because I was never any good at that. No, um, and growing in spiritual devotion that I found myself spending uh, and feeling joy spending more time with the Lord with, with uh, not only Scripture reading, Um, but also with contemplative prayer and with written prayers and all different sorts of things that I was exploring. I'm going, this is good. This is great. This feels good. And then, all of a sudden, at kind of the pinnacle of this thing, I just stopped feeling anything about it. I mean, I'm not dismissing any of the stuff that I was doing. Uh... And still do. I don't think that it's invaluable. I think it's tremendously valuable. And I think something has been accomplished for it. And I don't think I've gone backwards by doing it. But I stopped feeling it. I stopped feeling a connection with God. I stopped having kind of this deep sense, you know, that kind of that warm sense or maybe the tingly cold sense that you get sometimes. You know, that some churches I've heard manipulate people into feeling by turning the air conditioning on at opportune moments. I lost all that. That made me frustrated with God. Maybe it's fair, maybe it isn't, I don't know, but I was frustrated, and that's honest. 
And I'll be honest as well to say that I currently find myself years later in that situation of not having that feeling, that sense of intimacy with God. And here I am speaking to you. So maybe take what I have with a grain of salt. Maybe not. I hope to be honoring God here, and I believe that we are. So uh, with that being said, you know, I want to ask you to search your own heart. Have you been frustrated with God? Does he confound you? Does he confuse you? Do you have a difficult time figuring out what he's up to? Or do you have a difficult time figuring out why he is or isn't doing certain things? Have there been situations where you expected things to go a certain way and they went the totally opposite way and you're going, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening this way? Have you been in situations like I was where you're drawing close to God and and you're working on that relationship and you're really being disciplined with it and then all of a sudden you're like, why don't I feel you anymore? Why am I not excited about this anymore? Why is the air conditioning not on? Because I think for whatever reason, God is in the business of doing this sort of stuff to us or maybe we're in the business of reacting to that which God is doing in a way that brings us to frustration. I think that this passage here in Mark has some answers for us because the disciples of Jesus, particularly the twelve, but probably lots of people who followed him, have had similar experiences with Jesus. You know, we, we've, we've been going through Mark for a couple months now, We've read lots of stories about how Jesus will say that he's going to do something or act some way or go somewhere or interact with someone in a way that makes the disciples go, no, Jesus, uh uh-uh, that isn't the way that it works. That can't work. I don't get what's going on here. Oh, geez, you just did it anyways, and it's good. You know, Jesus says he's going to feed 4,000 or 5,000 people. The disciples don't know how that's going to happen. Jesus goes and talks with Samaritan women. Samaritans and Israelites are not supposed to interact, let alone a male and a female. The disciples are like, what are you doing, Jesus? Uh, Jesus says he's going to go to his death on the cross. Well, he says he's going to go and be, be killed. And the disciples say, no. What are you doing? What is going on? I don't understand you. You confound me. You frustrate me. Oh, crap, you did it anyways, and it worked out. So that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Now, this is a turning point in this gospel. This is a turning point in the story of Jesus. Chapter 11, we come to a place where... Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been frustrating the heck out of the disciples. We come to a turning point where he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He says, I'm going into Jerusalem. And he ultimately sets his face toward the fate that awaits him there in crucifixion. He begins to walk in that direction. And it says... As they approached Jerusalem 
and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So, here we have another one of those crazy, weird things that Jesus tells the disciples to do. At least in my understanding of it, hey, go steal a donkey. What's interesting about this is, um, well, a couple things. We'll, we'll make sense of that statement in a second. But one of the things that's interesting about this is that the disciples don't argue with him at all. They don't go, now come on, Jesus, why would we do that? They don't go, why are you asking us to do this weird, crazy thing? They don't say, uh, you know, what are we going to, what's it, what's going to accomplish, Lord? Could you explain it to us? They don't do anything like that. They just go, okay, let's go. Let's go get the donkey. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to take something that doesn't belong to you from somewhere, but people usually aren't down with it. Like, if I found somebody, like, jiggling with my bike lock, you know, um, on my bicycle, come out of my house at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, by my house, I mean my bus, um, I probably wouldn't feel real good about it. So... It's really intriguing to me that the disciples just go and do this. And I think there's, uh, there's a reason why they do. For some reason, they've decided, like, okay, we're not going to argue anymore. Maybe they're like, all right, Jesus knows what he's talking about by now. Or maybe they're like, um, we're just going to listen to him. Or maybe they have some sort of in- insider information that makes them just go and do this. Whereas before, they might have argued with other things. But in any case, they go. They, they get there, they find the donkey, the young donkey, and they go to untie it. And some people who are standing there say, hey, what are you doing with the donkey? And they say what Jesus told them to say, and they're like, all right, cool, take the donkey. Now, to clarify something, um, there is an account of this story in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Matthew. And I would commend to you, whenever you read some story in one of the Gospels, uh, if you want some questions answered about it, to go to the other Gospels and see what's going on there, too, because you might get some more information. What's helpful is that we learn from one of the other Gospels that here, that it's actually the owners who are standing by the donkey when the disciples untie it. And they say, hey, what are you doing? And the disciples say, the Lord needs the donkey. And the owners go, okay. I don't know why that worked. Maybe it was an ugly donkey. <laughs> Maybe they were stoked about what Jesus was doing. Uh, I don't know. What I do know is they say, okay. And they understand that it's for some purpose that's greater than themselves, even though they don't get exactly what's happening. It's for some purpose greater than themselves, even though they don't get exactly what's happening with it. And so the disciples take this thing, 
and they go back to Jesus. Now, I think the reason why the disciples did not act funny about this when Jesus told them to do it is because they had a pretty good understanding of the scriptures. They were probably familiar with a lot of the prophecies about the Messiah, about the coming king who is going to deliver and restore Israel. Uh, Largely, generalization here, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus had a much uh, greater knowledge of Scripture than, say, the average American would have of the Bible. They, they would have understood some things, particularly some prophecies related to the coming king, the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, because of the fact that they were under a foreign oppressor. The Romans had taken over Israel, were dominating it, were ruling it, and people, the Jews did not like that. They were not enjoying the treatment there. And so, the disciples maybe were aware of, I think quite possibly were aware of this scripture in Zechariah 9 that talks about the new king coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let's read that real quick. It won't be on the screen, so just listen well. It's only one verse. Zechariah 9, verse 9, the coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the people who were in the know, had some expectations about what Jesus was up to. They had uh, some thoughts about what he might be doing, probably some thoughts about what he might be doing grabbing this donkey to ride into Jerusalem as they were coming into Jerusalem. They believed that if they went and got this thing, they were going to help out with this prophecy. And so they're going to go grab this donkey, come hell or high water or angry owners or whatever the case may be. They had expectations about how God was going to act. And honestly, a lot of their expectations had to do with the idea of this king coming into Jerusalem and overthrowing the oppressors. That there was a sort of political and physical deliverance that was going to be happening for Jerusalem. That just as in days past, the Jews had been persecuted or taken by a foreign power, and God had delivered them out of that foreign power's hand, and they had their nation back and all these sorts of things, the Jews were looking for, were hoping for, this political deliverance, that God is going to set things straight, that the Romans are going to get out of here, that Jesus is going to give them a kick in the butt on the way out, and that... You know, it's going to be kind of this triumphant return to the glory days of Israel as God's kingdom and so on and so forth. But sometimes, God says something that is really obvious, that is right in front of your face, 
that because of your expectations of who he is or of how things are supposed to work, we miss. There's a word in Zechariah 9.9 that's real important. That word here in the TNIV is translated lowly. Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. That word lowly can be understood to mean humble. That word lowly can be understood to mean gentle, meek. Not the sort of giving them a kick in the butt on the way out image that these guys had, that these guys were stoked on, that these guys were excited about and we're going to sing about and we're going to shout about and we're ready to do this thing. Jesus grabs a donkey because he wants to make reference to this passage because he's fulfilling this passage. And I think the people aren't quite getting what he's doing because they missed that thing that God clearly communicated that because of their expectations of who God is and how he works, they just didn't see it. They blinded their eyes to it. It may come as no surprise that at this point, I'm going to say, I think we do this sometimes. I think we do this sometimes in our own lives. We look at where we are with God and we have an expectation of how God is and what he does. And we operate in that and we don't put ourselves in a place where we're willing to hear what God might be saying to us or what he may have clearly communicated to us. So maybe you've wanted to get married for your whole life. You've been trying to find the right person. You've been trying to follow God. You've been trying to find who he's got for you. You've been saving yourself. You've been singing that Rebecca St. James song. You've been going through all this, living, living right, doing good things. And you turn 25 and you're not married. And you turn 30 and you're not married. And you turn 35 and you turn 40. And all of a sudden you're like frustrated with God. Angry with God because he didn't give you what you thought he was going to give you. Because what you expected of him may not have been in line with what he wanted for you. Or maybe some of you got married or are married now and things aren't working out exactly how you thought they were going to and everything isn't perfect and you don't love each other unconditionally all the time and she's got really smelly feet and his hairline's receding and whatever or more important, more valuable things than purely physical things like you don't communicate well or you get frustrated with each other because one of you is neat and one of you is messy or whatever. Or, or the other person requires a lot more spiritual pouring into than you thought you needed. Who knows what it is? What are your expectations of how life has to be in order for God to be good? And what is he clearly communicated that maybe you're missing? Maybe you're the sort of person who's been trying to live really well and trying to love God again and trying to, to follow him and trying to do everything he wants you to do. 
But somewhere in the back of your head, you're going, well, because I do this, God's going to give me better things than he gives other people. And then you get frustrated when you see that person who can't get their crap together, who's always making stupid decisions, who seems to be disobeying God, but yet really good things always keep falling in their lap. And you're going, why am I even bothering with this? Are your expectations of how God has to be keeping you from being able to engage with him as he actually is? Maybe you're the sort of person on the opposite side of things who's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go out and get drunk every weekend or every day. I'm going to, you know, I don't know, do lots of drugs. I'm going to steal Josh's bike. I'm going to do, I'm going to be mean-spirited to people. I'm going to do, and I doubt you do all of these things, pick one, Um, I'm going to live as I want to live and I'm going to expect that God will protect me from the consequences of my actions because he loves me and cares for me and he's not judgmental. He's accepting. But maybe the way that God loves for you and cares for you is to let you reap the fruit of your actions so that you can say, oh God, I need you. How are your expectations keeping you from being able to hear what God has clearly communicated? Maybe you're the sort of person whose parents raised you to believe, I can do it if I put my mind to it. I can do anything I want if I set my mind to it. I can accomplish anything. But you grow up and you realize you're really bad at math. Or you're a crappy artist. Or the way that your mind works, you just don't process uh, story problems as well as you could. Or whatever the case may be. And you go, all of a sudden, I can't be a rocket scientist. Um, Is that God's fault? Or maybe, does God want you to be something else? that he's clearly communicated that we've missed because we've had our expectations of how things have to be. There's a thousand stories I could tell you. I could tell you about someone who believes they can't be anything. I could tell you lots of ideas. Find yourself in there. Is there something you believe that you hold as a holy grail in your faith of how God has to work? And if he doesn't work that way, well, something's wrong with God. Because a lot of the time, he doesn't work the way that we expect him to work. He didn't work the way the disciples expected him to work. He didn't work the way that the Jewish leaders leading up to the coming of the Messiah expected him to work. But he works. He's crazy and weird and dynamic and good. I'm pretty sure. So here's the thing. In their miscomprehension, in their misunderstanding of what Jesus was up to, the disciples get way stoked, go grab the donkey, say, talk to the hand, to the owners, can I throw any other cultural cheesy references in here, and uh, book it back to Jesus, and uh, they give him the donkey, 
And uh, then they continue on their way. No. They asked the owner for it. That's what I was saying with the, the other gospel mentions that it was the owner who gave them permission to take it. And we do believe that since Jesus said he was going to send it back, he did send it back. But the owner did give permission as well. Sorry for not clearing that up. I don't think, that's a good point. I don't think that God works in unexpectedly immoral ways. (laughs) But I will say that sometimes I believe that our understanding of what morality is, what God's morality actually is, is possibly skewed. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. No, don't. Put anything in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Continuing on quickly. Uh, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This word Hosanna uh, is an old Hebrew expression that means save. They're crying out, save, God, save us. Over the years, it had become an expression of praise as well. The Jews had had so much experience with needing God to save them that they had morphed this word save also into a word that means praise God. It's kind of interesting. So here they are. They have taken their coats, put them on the donkey. They have taken their coats and they have thrown them on the road For the donkey to walk on, for the people to walk on, for the donkey to trample up their clothes. And let me tell you, people at that time did not have as many clothes as we have today. Okay? So they're putting down their nice clothing, their only clothing perhaps, their only coat, who knows, onto the road. And this donkey's walking on it. This donkey's crapping on it. People are walking on it. If you've ever ridden a horse, but they they just do it as they go. They just... Take a load off. No need to pause. It's not pretty. You don't want it on your coat. Why did they do this? Expectation. This is what God's doing. We are excited, man. This is happening. This is going down. We're going to be delivered. Jesus is going to set things right. Out with the Romans and all their junk and the the corrupt rulers and blah, blah, blah. You know, the kingdom's coming. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our ancestor David. They are singing. They are shouting. They are praising. But what if they missed the point? What if they missed the point and Jesus isn't going to kick all that stuff out and do all those things and whatnot because we know the rest of the story. He doesn't. The Romans stay. Hey, they crucify him. There's a different sort of deliverance that Jesus is bringing. There's a spiritual deliverance instead of physical deliverance, which uh, would lead us to believe that that's more important. But they're singing and they're praising. Are they missing it as they're going along? And if they are, 
Like, shouldn't Jesus tell them to be quiet? Like, uh, guys, let's just, let's just chill out for a little bit here because uh, you don't know what's going on, really. And I'm about to die, so I'm on a donkey. I don't know if you saw that. This is not a war horse. I'm not carried by eight greased-up slaves. Like, I'm on a donkey. It just pooped on your coat. Again, I'm going to go to another one of the Gospels, which tells us that the Pharisees, who were amongst Jesus' people, who maybe who were, who were mixed in with this crowd, who maybe were a little bit more kind of politically sensitive, are going, hey, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. And Jesus says to them, if they stopped, I tell you the stones would cry out. That there will be singing and there will be praising for this moment. It is the appropriate response to this moment. So even if they're not quite getting it, Jesus wants them to keep following him, to keep going in his entourage, to keep praising. That God is honored through that, that that is what is supposed to happen here. Now, I've got to tell you, in my situation, with my frustration, with my spiritual engagements, and the kind of uh, existential numbness that I feel, this has been a consolation to me. What do you do when you feel that way, when you're not getting God, when it doesn't seem like he's getting you? Sing a song. Praise Keep on doing that contemplative prayer. Keep on reading that scripture. Keep on talking to people about the Lord and the things that he's shown you and the things that he's taught you and who he is and how he's good and explore that and keep moving and keep following Jesus and praising God and asking for his presence, for his real presence, not our estimation of who he is, but who he really is. Ask and ye shall receive. Note, there's not a time frame on that. Might be valuable to some of us. Jesus wants them to keep praising, to keep following him, keep on walking this road, because it may not be going where you expect it to be going, but if you get off of it going on your expected route instead of staying with me and watching me and trying to figure out what I'm doing and what's going on with me, then you're going to get lost out there. Me, focus, stay here. Honor God. So they do that. That's what they're doing right now. Even though they don't get everything, even though it all doesn't make sense, they're walking with God. Okay, and they get into Jerusalem. And the whole city is like, you know, you got to remember cities at this point in time are not like cities as we understand them now. It's like, uh, I really like the show Gilmore Girls. Does anybody here know Gilmore Girls? Yeah. It's like the town in Gilmore Girls where kind of everybody knows everybody's business and, you know, small town if you don't know Gilmore Girls. Kind of a small town, everybody knows what's going on. If there's a big crowd coming into town, you're probably going to hear about it pretty quickly. So they come in and kind of all this hubbub into the city of Jerusalem, into the royal city, the king riding into the city on a 
donkey and being all gentle and whatnot. They get in there. Let's read about what happens when they get into Jerusalem. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Can anyone say anticlimactic? <laughs> now here's where it comes to a head too, because all these people who are like, yeah, it's happening. Jesus gets in there and is like, hmm, hmm, haven't seen this place since I was 12 or something of the sort. All right, it's late. Let's go back out to Bethany, which is where we just came from on the donkey with the jackets on the ground and all that. And people are like, seriously, Jesus? What's happening? Why isn't this connecting? Why do you feel like this roller coaster ride of like, oh, it's all big and great. Yeah, sing and shout. The rocks are going to do it too. Oh, look at this temple. Let's go back. I mean, he seems kind of like, I don't know, pretty flighty. He's not. Well, that's rolling all the way up. (laughs) What do we do with this, God? With the starting and the stopping and the ups and the downs and the the things we don't get and the, the things that we miscomprehend. You know, the disciples here all of a sudden come face to face with the fact that Jesus isn't going to do what they expected him to do. We're in here, nothing happened, and Jesus is leaving. And you know what it says here? I think this is, these are really important words. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. They went back out with him. Remember that thing that I said about following him even when he's not making sense? even when we're frustrated, even when we aren't getting to the bottom of it, even when we're confounded. At one point in time when Jesus gave a hard teaching, many of his followers left. And Jesus said, aren't you going to go too, to the twelve? Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? No one else has the words of life. got to ask ourselves, when we're frustrated with God, when we're having a difficult time, when we're not getting something, what needs to be adjusted there? Because I think that a lot of us, I think I would argue maybe all of us at some point in time in our lives have taken what we think we know about God have cast it into an idol of our knowledge of who he is, have labeled that that comprehension, those assumptions, those expectations of how God has to be in order to be God, have labeled it Jesus, and have gone there for our worship, for our fulfillment, 
for our understanding of how to live this life. Um, don't do that? How do we not do that? I think we need to open ourselves to the possibility that God is not the crazy one. God is dynamic. God is unexpected. God is um, strange to our sensibilities. But he is not the one who needs to adjust. If God does something, if God tells you something that doesn't fit in with what you expect of him, particularly in the Scripture, because if it's in the Scripture, we're sure that it's God's thing, I'd encourage you to not go, oh, that can't be God. Or look for a way to make sense of it, like, oh, he can't mean that. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Do not worry. Come on, Jesus. For some people, give all you have away. For some people, go with nothing. For other people, if someone forces you to walk with them and carry their stuff for a mile, go another mile. Come on, Jesus. Let me tell you something. Back in the day, many years ago, I had a series of situations. Um, and this is, this is pertinent on a couple levels. I had a series of situations where I felt like God told me to do something really strange, really clearly. Like, go to the 7-Eleven and wait there. I have something for you. Sounds like an illicit, like, drop-off or more secret, some secret government agency or something. And, you know, sometimes when he said that sort of stuff, I was like, come on, Jesus. Like, I'm comfortable in my bed. I'm reading my science fiction novel. I don't want to go to 7-Eleven right now. And other times I would go when he would tell me to do these sort of things. The, the particular one that I remember, probably remember because I actually did it, was I went to the um, sit-go. They're not always gas stations, by the way. I went to the sit-go that was near my house where I was living, and I went inside the sit-go because I believed that God had something for it, that God wanted something to happen there, and I should be there for it. I go in there, right? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what we're doing. I go in there. And go inside, take a look around, see if there's anybody who uh, has I Need Jesus written across their face. Nobody there. Go over, get a Mountain Dew. Don't drink Mountain Dews. They're bad for you. Um, all sorts of tidbits of wisdom tossed in here. I go over, get a Mountain Dew, kind of look around. No writing on the face still. I go over and pay. I say, God bless you to the person who, uh, who I buy my drink from. And then I leave and I'm like, is anybody hiding under my car? <laughs> no, guess I'll head home now. Why did Jesus tell me to do that? I don't know. 
I really believe that he did. I really believe that it was important for me to be there. But I don't get the details of how that worked. Maybe the God bless you made the woman bust out in tears and she decided to keep her baby. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. My point here is this. I, we don't always know what God is up to, but he's always up to something. We don't always understand what he's doing, but he's working. In our frustration, in our difficulty, in our pain, in our confusion. And another point that I want to make with that, along with that, is God doesn't, hasn't done that to me in a long time, told me to go somewhere and do something. It's okay for him to change the way he interacts with you. Like, that doesn't mean he's not God anymore. He doesn't always have to work that way. And I think he does that for our benefit a lot of the time. But I want to encourage you. That the way forward, the way through this frustration, the way through this confusion that so often can lead us to a place in time where we go, I don't get you. I'm frustrated with you. I'm not going to bother with you. And then you start not bothering with God and all of a sudden you stop paying attention to him. And all of a sudden it's kind of this vicious cycle, you know, of frustration and difficulty that can lead us to some bad places. The way through that is to keep your eyes on Jesus and where he's going and to not raise your expectations of how he has to be above your understand or not your understanding above who he really is and your ability to see that and if this were a book report i would say and that's what i learned from mark 11 <laughs> pretend i didn't say that one of the things that we don't get about god is communion. We don't fully get exactly what's happening here. And I think it's a good picture for us because you know what? We do it anyways. And as you can tell from the people who are going back to that room back there, we're about to do it right now because they're going to get some stuff and bring it out here. Jesus headed to Jerusalem. He was crucified and he rose again. And before he was crucified, on the night before he was crucified, he had what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. And he took bread, and he broke that bread and said, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This bread is real food. This cup is the blood of the covenant, the blood that Jesus was about to pour out. Drink it in remembrance of Jesus. It is real drink. That God has something for us here that probably is outside of our expectations, at least on some level, of how he works and who he is. A mystery that he wants us to participate in. The, the death and the resurrection and the redemption that comes from the death of Christ on our behalf to pay for our sins, to restore us to him so we can even follow him and listen to him and have his Holy Spirit living inside of us to make sense of a lot of the stuff we have a hard time making sense of. So I want to encourage you, if you are following Jesus or want to be following Jesus, to come forward and receive these elements.
receive the bread, receive the cup. You'll just tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And then you can go back to your seat, take it with you and pray. You can pray before you come up. You can eat it right there. You can do it however you want. I'm not here to tell you how to take communion. Um, But do business with God through this. Open yourself to how he might reveal himself to you. And also, a couple other details of that. If you are not currently following Jesus, or are not sure you want to start right now, uh, you can come up and uh, just receive a quick blessing if you want to do that. That's open to you. And if you want to do that when you come forward, just cross your arms like this, and the person will know to just bless you. Okay? So that's, that's open for you. We want to make sure you can take advantage of that if you want to. And um, also, we have a wheat-free, gluten-free option that will be over here. It is all gluten-free over here. There is no non-gluten-free. And the lovely Marcus Hyde baked the gluten-free with care and prayer and cleanly washed hands, um, which, if you know Marcus, is important to communicate. Um, So, you know, anybody can partake of that, but for people who have those specific needs, that'll be at the station over here. Hey, thank you, you guys. Um, May God bless you, and, and Adam has something to say. Oh, yeah, we got to pray just to make it today. Where's my response? Uh, no. Sorry. Super important. If you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you don't know what God's up to, if you can't figure out maybe what he's clearly communicated to you that isn't quite clicking in your life and other things seem to be off and not working, there is a prayer room over there. I want to highly encourage you to go into that room where those guys just went in to get the elements and take advantage of that prayer. Uh, For the next 15, 20 minutes or so, people will be praying back there. They will happily pray for you, with you. You can talk to them. Um, Yeah, anything you want prayer for, that's where you do it. So super sorry about forgetting that, and it's super important. So that's why I'm super sorry. And now I sound like I'm from Chicago because people from there say super a lot. FYI, tidbits of information. Thank you. God bless you.